You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Hello, this is Greg Stokes. I'm with my brother Doug. This is Lanyap Podcast. This is Tuesday, January 23rd. Recording this, the S&P 500 recently hit a new all-time high. So it's been a couple of years since we've been at an all-time high, and right now we're trading slightly off of that, but it's about 4,800. Um, it's been a long time coming. It's been a, a, a difficult couple of years in the U.S. markets. Things uh, rebounded very quickly last year, as we've talked about, and as many of you are aware, the last six weeks of the year were really strong in the stock and bond markets. Um, the bond markets have come off their um, the yields on bonds have come up a little bit, but stocks have continued to march along. It's an interesting story. This particular, the beginning of this year has seen not the U.S. markets have done really well, but specifically in Asia and China, markets are down significantly. Um, the Magnificent Seven, or the the top seven stocks in the United States: um, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Nvidia, um, Tesla. Um, I'm missing a couple other ones. Now have a larger market cap than any country's entire stock market, except the U.S., obviously, because they're all based in the United States. Um, so anyway, the U.S. markets are doing really well. Um, China, specifically, there's been it's been in the news lately, and we talked about it a lot last week, that their markets have really not done a whole lot in the last 30 years. And India, specifically, um, is not, now... Not just not a whole lot. I think there's been zero return. Right, zero right? return in China yeah. in the last 30 years. India, which is which is really sort of counter counter the narrative of what we were taught at the at the outset of our careers, and in, in that China was breeding all of these in, innovative companies like JD and Alibaba, Tencent, et cetera, that were going to change the world and were going to expand in the United States and around the world, et cetera. But what's happened is is that country has chosen to chosen political aims uh, over uh, capitalistic aims, and those com- those uh, companies have suffered. And so now India, who we talked about, and the other, other thing we talked about too is China has really horrible demographics because, that, because of a number of re- different reasons, but namely the one-child policy, um, wherein families over there can only have one child, obviously. But anyway, so India, on the other hand, is growing. They have a, the awesome demographics of a really young population. Their stock market, as of yesterday, has now overtaken Hong Kong's stock market for the first time uh, in history. Um, not, not specific, not the China on the macro, but Hong Kong, they, Hong Kong and Chinese stock markets, even though they're one and the same, really they're separate per, per this analysis. Um, but it's a really interesting sort of story going on right now. China really has done, like we talked about, has done horribly. China, China GDP in, uh, this is according to global index, uh, in the year 2000, uh, GDP was 1.21 trillion. 2023 GDP 18.7 trillion at least that's, that's what they say. Um, so we got an 18x uh, uh, growth in the economy and zero return to the uh, shareholders of companies uh, in that economy. So just um, horrible. Not great. That's really not good. Uh, I, I don't know where China's going from here. I, I do have a, uh, I know we're going to get a, a market correction right after I say this, but uh, I do believe that we're in uh, very much in a bull market right now. I'm just going to go out and, and say it. This is from uh, Sam Rowe, which I think is a great statistic. Um, 
He said uh, the S&P index has hit 17, well, 1,176 new highs since 1957. It's an equivalent of an, a new high every fortnight, 14.3 days. History suggests that investors should expect the market to ascend to many new highs over their lifetime, even if the path is always not a straight one. Then he goes out and, and cites Truist uh, research, uh, Truist Keith Lerner reviewed similar instances since 1954 when it took at least a year for the S&P to make a new high. So it's been two years since we had a new high. He has observed that 93% of the time, the index was positive in the 12 months that followed a new high with an average return of 14%. So um, there's been about 15 instances of uh, S&P 500 being in a drawdown, an extended drawdown over a year, recovering um, you know, so breaking that previous high and recovering 12 months later, 93% of the time it was positive with an average return of 14%. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to go on the side of the 93% and, and say that we're in a bull market. Yeah. And what happens after the market is achieved is this is, I'm looking at an, ar- an article that Ben Carlson produced in 2017, but after the Dow Jones industrial average produced an all time high, the average performance on a cumulative basis, one year, three year, and five years out is like still positive. Um, um, something like 70% of the time it's positive on over one year, 76 over three years, and 70 around, around numbers over five years. So just because we hit an all-time high doesn't mean that things are necessarily going to go down. Although you're right, you, there is some sort of, uh, of a superstition there's a car- element. There's a karma component here <laughs> that... Um, I fully expect to go into a correction right after this is produced, but it shouldn't shouldn't change uh, the the truth that uh, people don't want to invest during all time highs. As uh, as uh, I think, who, who is this guy that said every fourteen days on average you're experiencing an all time high? You're you're always going to be investing at all time high, so you might as well just get into the market. Time is better than timing. Um, earlier the better. Of course, you may ex- uh, uh, experience a drawdown. I think the, the greatest analogy here is that this was from 2017. I remember I used to tell clients this. If you had invested uh, in at the very top of the market in 2007 uh, and closed your eyes for 10 years, so 2007 to 2017, you had doubled uh, your investment. This is in the S&P 500, despite the fact that you went down 50% almost immediately. And so, yeah, there's always that... Uh, expectation that the dollar that you put in is today is going to be worth, you know, 70 or 80 cents tomorrow simply because of your luck. But, uh, you know, the odds are not, not in that particular, um, favor. So I would, I would expect that over time the market continues to grow because that's historically what it's done, even though it's painful along the way. Speaking of karma, did you see, uh, the Taylor Swift, uh, stuff going on this past weekend at the bills game? I watched the game. Yeah. Um, there's people that are complaining that there's too much Swift, uh, uh, Taylor Swift stuff going on on TV around the football games, but specifically this past weekend, for those of you that didn't see, the game between the Bills and the Chiefs was amazing on Sunday. This whole playoff season's been awesome, um, but the the funny thing about this past weekend related to Taylor Swift was uh, Travis Kelsey's brother 
Uh, she's dating Travis Kelsey, for those of you who are living under a rock. And uh, Travis Kelsey's brother, um, Jason Kelsey, was an attendee at the game. And he was hilarious. They had videos of him before the game that he was out partying with all of the uh, Chiefs He's fans. retiring. So that He's was, retiring. Yeah. He was taking a shot out of a uh, bowling ball at one point. And then during shirtless, the game, yeah. shirtless, right. During the game, he jumped out of the suite and then picked up some little girl who was holding a Taylor Swift sign and, and, uh, uh, allowed her to, to get at eye level with Taylor anyway. So it was hilarious, but um, it's been a really, this is pr- probably the most entertaining NFL playoff season uh, I can remember. And I, I really, I don't think there's a clear favorite um, between all the teams out there. I think the Ravens look really tough. Yeah. Um, but also probably probably, them. Yeah. Probably them just given the fact that Lamar Jackson is just so good. Um, but th- yeah, shifting back to the, um, to your point about just by virtue of the fact that we're, and a new all-time high and, and entering a new bull market that doesn't mean that we're going to have a uh, a you know downfall or whatever even though that's what the human nature says but this is a this is somebody from on twitter that posted this consider this the equal weighted s&p 500s equal weighted not meaning cap weighted cap weighted you've got the big uh, the magnificent seven that's that are, that's pushing the the uh the price to earnings ratio to around 20 or whatever in the s&p 500 but the equal weighted s&p 500s forward p is 18 the lowest valuation on the index, um, and since the uh, since January of 2020, so it's pretty interesting to see um, uh, the fact that the uh, the even though things have gone up so quickly or whatever, it's it's really only been seven stocks. And there's a lot of a lot of uh, room for growth and yeah, earnings. Earnings just have to hold up, and that's really going to be the key. I think uh, we're entering the part of the cycle where. The Fed is likely to cut this year and cut several times. And there's debates about, you know, do they cut four? Do they cut six? Do they cut seven? Um, you know, ultimately, the path is down from here. Uh, at least likely path is down from an interest rate perspective. And so uh, are companies able to keep their margins up um, while, uh, while we go into this next phase of the cycle? I heard somebody say uh, there, are, there are those out there that think that um, – yeah, the profit margins across the S&P 500 are elevated and shouldn't stay this high. Uh, and I, I heard a counter argument to that that I thought was pretty um, interesting. The whole idea of inflation and inflation coming down doesn't mean that prices go back to where they were pre-pandemic. So you had this whole, um, you know, increase, a massive increase in price. I think Truflation said there's like a 25% increase across the board in prices now versus, uh, you know, the January of 2020, four years ago. Um, so just because inflation goes back to, you know, two or 3% doesn't necessarily mean that it goes back to, uh, 2020 prices. Yeah. Uh, prices would have to go down like 25% from here. Yeah, exactly. You don't want, and I don't think you want that, but, but all of these companies that were able to pass on those price increases to their customers, um, at the have elevated basically elevated prices for goods now but uh some of the inputs are coming down whether it's interest rates are coming down or uh wage pressures coming down um things like that where you could see margins expand simply because uh there's sticky prices and borrowing costs are going to come down by virtue of the fed cutting rates Uh, if you they're they're just the macro trend of price of, of corporate earnings over the last like 50 years has been this sort of upward up and to the right, basically, just because 
companies have got more efficient technologies enabled. Yeah, yeah. Think about AI. What is AI going to going to add? Companies are always looking for more efficiency. So you had like the I'm going to be replaced by a robot. Um, you know, the sort of that you see these uh, Amazon uh, warehouses where they literally have robots that are uh, packing these packages or moving goods across the floor. Um, AI is just a an, another iteration of that where it. It improves efficiency across organizations, and all that means is cost is being reduced. There was a study by McKinsey about the efficiency of uh, AI over the, the next decade, and I can't remember what the number was, but it was a meaningful uh, impact to GDP um, and productivity uh, simply by these efficiencies. So I, I get uh, that margins can come down and that earnings as a result would come down, but there's just so many tailwinds here uh, through increased price while inputs are going down, commodity prices are going down. Uh, they're not going to lower prices of goods, uh, you know, end goods to consumers and then efficiency gains through artificial intelligence. I just, uh, I'm bullish on, uh, I'm bullish on the earnings outlook, especially if rates come down and borrowing costs come down. So that that really leads to the next piece. Um, Yuri and Timmer, who he's he's been on the uh, you know, quoted on the pod a, a lot of the past couple of weeks. I think he's been on fire with um, his comments. He he posted today. He said the rising tide lifts most boats with new highs for the S and P 500 index. The question is when the rest of the market will catch up and make new all-time highs. Equal weight index seems close following the broad-based year-end rally. Small caps remain in a bear market. So small caps are still 20% below where they were in January of 2022. And so um, the question is, what happens to uh, equal weight and S&P 500 large cap type companies come down to small caps or do small caps catch up uh, or somewhere in between those two? Uh, he says, history shows that sooner or later, the rest of the market does tend to follow suit. Often small caps break out concurrently with war- large caps, as was the case during the 60s and 70s. But sometimes there are lags, like we're experiencing right now. In 1991, following the SNL crisis in 1990, it took 10 months for small caps to confirm. In late 1998, following the long-term capital management crisis, it took 14 months in the spring of 19. Uh, following a 20% drop in late 2018, it took 20 months with the Russell still, 2000 still 21% uh, below its high, keeping it in bear market territory. It's worth asking whether it has ever happened that small caps are in a bear market while large caps are in a bull market. The answer is no. Although we came close a few times, the S&P 500 made a new high in November 98. Then the Russell 2000 was still ni- down 19%. It has been down 26% a few months earlier, but the secular peak in 2000 closed that gap. Small caps were down 32% a few months ago. My hunch is they'll end up eventually just like in the past. And so the summary here is if you're a believer as I am that we're entering a bull market and there's a segment of the market that is still uh, well off of its highs, specifically small cap companies, so uh, really companies outside the S&P 500, then the positioning would be uh, to own those companies because that gap would close over time. So the um, other thing to think about too is that, and this could be a, a sort of catalyst for the markets to go up even further, is that um, money markets and CD, money market funds and CDs are at 
like an all-time high right now over the last couple of trillion years. dollars yeah yeah so yeah, we talked this, about that last week yeah so it's there's money that's what happens is in in any sort of um like risk-based investment is that there's money that flows in when there's FOMO and we haven't really gotten to that quote FOMO meaning fear of missing out there there hasn't been like a we haven't gotten a real breakout in the markets yet and there's this huge pile of cash this the, the previous peak in terms of cash um, was seven trillion dollars right under seven trillion dollars between money markets so i'm looking at a wall street journal article that we'll post to the show notes assets and money market funds and cds at between at 2009 was at right under seven trillion dollars and then basically was down significantly after that for a decade or so and then peaked uh precipitously or last year essentially um, and we all know what happened, obviously, after the 2008-2009 period was that was the, the dawn of another uh, bull market. But obviously, people want to be in cash when the world's coming to an end, like in the 2008-2009 period. And then they don't want to be in cash when the market's ripping like it did in 2008-2009. So we're actually at this period of time where just like in 2008-2009, people went to cash. People went to cash over the last couple of years. There's a ton of money in cash, exponentially higher than it was in the last decade, and and almost probably forty percent higher than it was at its peak in 2008, 2009. Well, so yeah, that, the other reason for that is that cash is paying five percent right now, right? So it's like, yeah, I'll I'll sit around and take five percent, but what happens when you go from five to four to three percent because the Fed is cutting cutting rates and people start to notice that, so. Um, you know, what is it? Is it a FOMO component? It probably is a FOMO component. It's also a component of I'm not getting as much income as I was getting last year and stocks are going up and bonds, bonds are all offering a higher yield now because the yield curve is not inverted anymore. So, you know, maybe the money comes into stocks, maybe that goes into bonds. Um, so, or a combination of the two. So I think it's, I think a lot of it is driven by the fact that you can get 5% plus just sitting in a money market right now. You have this whole contingent of, of people that are content with that. And I would agree with them. The problem is that that's not, um, that's not guaranteed for very long. There's in this article at the wall street, in the wall street journal that talks about the, the quantity of money that's in, um, cash and CDs and pardon me, money market funds and CDs. There's people that are that basically the, the sum is there's, there's two individuals that are, have huge smiles on their faces and are happy to earn, five plus percent and risk-free instruments um but yeah when that goes like to your point when that goes down to it's probably never going to get to the point at which it was before this i mean maybe it will but but to the point i don't think this cycle i mean we look at trueflation you posted this in our um our doc trueflation is now uh uh, estimating that current inflation is 1.82 percent um right now at a five and a half percent fed funds rate we're talking about three and three and a half percent of uh real income above inflation that is you know, at a fed funds rate that's very restrictive monetary policy and um I, I just don't see that i think they're gonna if they keep rates at this level i think you're gonna see impacts to the economy and to the job market and i think uh to get ahead of that they're gonna they try to bring rates back to somewhere uh, neutral, you know, which means on par with inflation. Right. And so if, if this cycles any, um, any similar to the previous one, 
than when there was a huge quantity of cash and money market funds that all went into other investment vehicles. It didn't just get all consumed. Um, and those did really well over the last from 2009 till 2023 or whatever stocks and bonds did really well. And then hope, so hopefully the, 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 uh, history repeats itself to a degree and that this, these monies flow back in and do well and also drive the markets as well too, because like we had just talked about on an equal ba- equal weighted basis, the market hasn't been, in, um, it hasn't reached its January 2020 high on a, on a price to earnings basis. So yeah, things- and I think, and I think th- this is posted by, uh, this is in our doc, Char- Charlie Bolello posted this average underperformance cash versus the S and P 500, 1928 to 2013 over one, two, three, five, seven, 10, 15, 20, 25 and 30 rolling year periods on average cash underperforms the S and P by 8% in any given year. 17% in any given two years, 158% in any given 10 years, and 20, 2,124% in any given 30 years. Um, there's going to be a, a, a moment in time where people realize that their cash is not earning as much as they um, were expecting, and that, that typically would find, it way, find its way to more uh, riskier assets, stocks. So... While we're talking about performance of assets, I want to look at a couple. This is Charlie Bilal also posted this, that used car prices are at their lowest level in 31 months, down 12% from their peak in July of 20. When I was thinking about this, is what it was like if you would have just bought in 2020, it was obviously a really difficult market year and used cars were like the best performing asset class or whatever that particular year. But I was thinking back in terms of the crazy, the craziness that came out of COVID and what were the craziest effects on assets over that time period. And I really, I specifically thought of used cars and now used cars have come off quite a bit, but I also thought of the price of oil. And I still remember this vividly when the price of oil went to negative $30 or whatever, a barrel. Um, but this, this just, that just made me think of, um, of that period of time. And I wanted to get your opinion if you had anything that came out of this particular cycle. Now that we, it seems like we're moving on to the next thing and, and hopefully getting out of this whole COVID related after effects period of um, monetary policy and moving on to the next cycle. Do you, if, can you reflect back on any things that, that come to mind as it relates to the craziness that occurred over those last three or four years? Uh, I mean, nothing's coming to mind. I think the, uh, it's like, it's been a, a major, um, it, I think po- positive experience from the perspective of, uh, you know, how markets are humbling. Um, and, and we've, we've read so much, um, about you know, predictions on where the economy is going and using historical evidence to make um, seemingly uh, you know, thoughtful and well-researched opinions, specifically on markets in the economy. Going back to in uh, summer of 2022, when the yield curve inverted, maybe it was 21, um, when the yield curve inverted, no, it was 22, um, Followed followed by you know calls for recession around that. Uh, we had two quarters of GDP negative GDP, which is uh, technically a recession that was in summer you know th- second and third quarter of 2022. Um, you had the most historic hiking cycle uh, that we've seen by the Fed. Uh, bond all yields, of these, yeah, bond yields went uh, from zero to you know five percent in a year, uh, and so or two years really. All of this um, should have been uh, recessionary, and and you know we had uh, I remember the the uh, wars, 
yeah, we had two wars. We have we had a hundred percent of uh, CEOs on a Bloomberg survey that were calling for a recession within a twelve month period. So you know, as a reflect upon uh, the past this this cycle specifically, I think it is just very humbling. Uh, it's going to be studied, I think, for um, for decades, and you know, trying to understand um, you know policy decisions around this cycle. And I think the most important component to this is to take a broader view that there's not enough from an economic perspective. There haven't been enough recessions um, to make a statistical uh, uh, decision to say, you know, this is these are the setups for a recession. Uh, there's only been, what, 10 recessions in, in or less modern American in a, right. in a, none of them, yes. are, and we've never dealt with a, a global pandemic where we shut down the country yeah. and, and so then injected I, all kinds think, of capital. Right, right. So I think um, this has been a lesson in diversification. It's been a lesson in discipline and intestinal fortitude, uh, and I think that um, it's been just a, a, a period in which it's okay to just kind of throw your hands up and say, you know, I, I don't really know what's going on in uh, markets or the economy. Uh, I don't know where it's going, but I think if you uh, take a broader perspective, uh, know that markets over time compound at at rates of return in the high single digits, and that bond yields are at X. Um, you know that's an expectation of a rate of return long term, and kind of stick to stick to that sort of framework instead of trying to predict the next six or twelve months. Um, that that sort of uh, you know tilt versus. Uh, you know what we're doing on a weekly basis, which is talking about what's going on in current events and trying to ascertain how it really impacts uh, accounts and, and clients. Uh, that's that's been an exercise in futility, um, especially the last couple of years. Absolutely. So I want to I'm going to offer three different uh, pieces food food for thought that are not related to this specifically, but related to things that are going on in the world today. And and if you have anything else to add, feel free. But otherwise, we'll close it out on that note. Um, number one, Bill Clinton, this is from Meb Faber, who was president 20 years ago, is younger than Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Let that thing sink in. <laughs> That's crazy to me, honestly. Secondarily, the bills. So Josh Allen, his cap hit by season was $5 million. They lost in the wild card in 2019. $5 million in change in 2020. $10 million. They lost the divisional um, or lost in. They, they, pardon me, they lost in the conference championship in, in 2020. They, they lost divisional in 2021 at $10 million, $16 million lost in divisional eight, in eight in 2023, $18 million lost in divisional in 2024, $47 million next year. So it's going to be a lot difficult, a lot more difficult for the Bills. So it's just really unfortunate because he's a hell of a player and really fun to watch. So I hope he can find some. The only way to win in the NFL these days is to get a rookie quarterback that ends up being a star and, and when they're on their first contract, um, you know, that's that's when you go for it. Unless you, you have Brady. Yeah, unless you have Brady. Or um, Mahomes, maybe. I mean, he's But he's Brady was even giving up some of his salary to be able to bring in some of the the guys. Um, and then Mahomes is now like the you know, eighth or ninth um, highest paid quarterback because the uh, – the new the new uh, salary cap has just been increased after the collective bargaining agreement. So um, it's just hard to do it when you're when you have so much invested in one player. Uh, when you can get like even like a guy like Brock Purdy who makes one hundred eight hundred sixty thousand dollars this year. <laughs> yeah, so Christian McCaffrey bought all of his family's Christmas presents or whatever because he couldn't yeah. afford them. Um, that's that's really the only way to do it is get lucky with a with a quarterback in the draft. 
Absolutely. So in the last piece of information, we'll leave you guys and both Doug and I are really big fans of uh, the, the, uh, the Band of Brothers series and the Pacific. I personally like the Pacific better than Band of Brothers, but they're both fantastic. The third version of the series that's going to be that's produced in that sort of same sort of vein is called Masters of Air, and it premieres on Friday, January 26th, and follows the actions of the 100th Bomb Group, a B-17 Flying Fortress Unit, and the 8th Air Force during World War II, and it was nicknamed Bloody 100th due to the heavy losses incurred in combat missions. So there's about to be a really a hell of a show coming out on Apple TV, and, and we're going to be watching it, and we're probably going to be commenting on it as time goes on, in addition to financial markets, football, and whatever else we deem worthwhile of talking about. So in the meantime, if you guys enjoyed the show, um, please share it with your friends and family and give it a positive review. And otherwise, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.